You are welcome to the teaching ministry of Nelson Ihiagwa. Be stirred as you listen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We love you, we honor you, we give you praise for everything you have done, for the revelation of your Son in the Word, and for who you are to us. Mighty God, we just want to honor you, thank you, give you thanks, because the Word of God is seen, is revealed, your truth of God's Word breaks forth in our heart. And Father, we really honor you and give you thanks. In Jesus' wonderful name we have prayed, amen. Just say this after me where you are. The eyes of my understanding is enlightened. The eyes of my understanding is enlightened. By the Holy Ghost, my eyes see. I see from the Word of God. The Word of God is my reality. What the Word says is who I am. What the Word says I can do is what I can do. Blessed is your name. Glory to God. All right, guys. Um, so last week we started a quick teaching on the nature of God, and I felt it was something that was really important that we needed to discuss. It's a teaching that is very essential. All right, it's a teaching that is very essential. A teaching on the nature of God. I I believe that um, one major struggle a lot of believers have. One major struggle a lot of believers have is about who God is, okay? One major struggle a lot of believers have is about who God is. And this is what is exactly going to affect a lot of people when it comes to their Christian experience because they don't know who God is. They just jam everything together and they, they turn what is not God to be God, you know? Um... Someone said something. I think it's uh, Papa Hagen. He said, faith begins where the will of God is known. Can I say that again? Faith begins where the will of God is known. Let me say that one more time. Papa Hagen said, faith begins when the will of God is known. So in doing that, a lot of people don't know what the will of God is. A lot of people don't know what course of action God can take. So any action that seems to be out of their control, they will take, they will target by control. I mean, out of their direct input, they will target to be, Oh, it is God's will. It is God's nature. It is who God is. And I beg to differ and I disagree because when doing things like that, even the things that are, that are done by the devil, we will turn it to be God. And the things that are now done by God, we will not have the proper explanation for why he did the things that he did. Okay? So, um, this message is going to be edited and put on NIM website because I feel this teaching is really important. Alright? So, last week we started by looking at James chapter 1. And in James chapter 1, one thing we looked at keenly was how God is the father of lights. Excuse me? How God is the father of light. In him there is no variation, no variableness, no shadow of turning. The word father of light is an allusion to the sun. It means that this, there are great lights. You know how the Bible says there are um, 
he puts two great lights to rule the day and to rule the night. You know, so there are lights, meaning there are the stars, but there are great lights, and those great lights are the moon and the sun. But the sun is the greater of all. Why? Because of course, if you know um, um, a little bit of, I don't even know what science it is, but if you know a little bit, you know that the moon gets, if you know about the solar system, you know that the moon gets its light even from the reflections of the sun. Okay. So the God being the father of light is an allusion. It's a painting of the fact that God is the sun. And you know that the sun has no darkness in it at all. If there is any darkness that is caused by the sun, it is caused by what position you are standing at in contrast with the sun. So if you understand one thing about the earth, the earth is never, the earth has light, it has night and it has day. The reason why it has night is not because the sun moved. The reason why it has night is because the part of the earth where you are backed the sun are you are you with me the part of the of the earth where you are backed the sun and that is why it is night at that time so one thing to note one thing to understand is god is the father of light if there is something called good that thing called good is found in god if there is something called good that thing called good is found in god if there is something called good, that thing called good is found in God. Praise the name of Jesus. Am I giving clarity so far? Are we getting these explanations so far? All right. Um, so we're going to look at a few things I did not really, I did not really uh, lash on or I did not really expound on last week. We're going to look at a few of those things that I did not really expound on last week. Turn your Bible, turn your Bible to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I just read this in passing, um, but I'm going to expound on this. You know, um, a few of the last week's teaching, if you didn't tune in, it's going to be edited and put on NIM website as well. So part 1, this is going to be part 2. Hebrews 1, look at what he says here. He says, God... Who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Do you see that? He said, God in time past and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, having these last days spoken unto us by his son. You know, the better translation would have been, He has spoken unto us in his son. Whom he had appointed heir of all things, by whom also he had made the world, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Do you see that? Jesus, I think another translation says Jesus is the effulgence of the Father. So when the Bible says, when the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, what, um, uh, the author was trying to explain is simply this, that the word, that Jesus is the reason for all things. Okay, that's what he was trying to explain. Him being the word. The word there means uh, logic. It means that he's the logic, he's the reason for all things. He's the reason for all things. So, 
when the Bible lets us understand that Jesus is the express image of the, of the Father, he's the express image of the person of God, what that basically means is looking at Jesus is seeing the will of God on two feet. Oh God, are you with me? What that means is looking at Jesus is seeing the will of God on two feet. One thing we need to understand is Jesus was not just a man. So, you, you know, when we say uh, this thing, Jesus is man and God, the perfect theological expounding on that is Jesus is fully man and fully, he is truly man rather, not fully. He is truly man and truly God. So as true as it is that he is God is as true as it is as he is that he was a man. Are you with me? As true as he is, because the truth of the matter, if, if, if he was exactly fully God, he would not be, he would not have been able to die. So he was not exactly fully God. He was more truly God, truly man. What that means is as true as it is that he was man is as true as it is that he was God. Because sometimes we see Jesus step into divinity. We see him forgive sins. And then other times we see him step into the flesh. We see him sleep. We see him get tired. We see him be in agony. And we even see him die. But we see this. That in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. We see the speakings of God unto the fathers. Who are the fathers? The patriarchs. God spoke to them. How? By the prophets. God spoke to them through mouthpieces. God spoke to them through men. Even the coming of Christ, God spoke to it through people. You know, um, um, I think let me just drop in an answer for a theological question. People, people, somebody might have this question, or let me answer a question you didn't think you had. So you might say that, why did, as soon as man fell, why did God, not Jesus, not just come? Simple. The Bible says, but at the fullness of time, at the fullness of time, he was born of a virgin. At the fullness of time, he came. There was a prophetic quota that needed to be filled in God's calendar for Jesus to have come. That's just it. At the fullness of time. But that one is um, one of those talks for many other days. But I hope we get that. So it says that God spoke to the patriarchs by the prophets. You see these guys prophesying the coming of Jesus. Prophesying that one was coming to save Israel from their sins. Prophesying this. In fact, the prophecies made him look like he was going to be a political savior. But you look at this verse too. He says, he has in these days spoken unto us by his son. Verse 3 now says, he, is the, he being the brightness of his glory and the express image of the person. Better put, Jesus is the expression of the person of the father. Can I say that again? Jesus is the expression of the person of the father. Let me say that one more time. Jesus is the expression of the person of the father. Let me say that one more time. Jesus is the expression of the person of the father. What you see Jesus do is what you see the father do. What you see Jesus do is what you see the father do. And that is why we cannot separate the person of Jesus from the person of the father. In the Bible, we see God. The, we see the Godhead in its operations. And clearly, we see that um, as relevant to the context of salvation. All right. The clearest context of the Trinity you will find is in salvation. Okay. So we begin to see that, oh, there is the father. Who is this father? He's the, you see Jesus being man, yet God, yet praying to somebody. 
because men ought always to pray. That's why Jesus was praying. So we see the father there. We see the son in the person of the God-man, God in the flesh. And then we now see that the spirit of God, we see his operations. And so we now see that a lot of people now mis misconstrue those things and say that, oh, we want to build an intimacy with the Holy Ghost. That's a problem because you are seeking to build an, you are seeking to build an, a relationship with God outside God. Are you with me? You are seeking to build a relationship with God outside God. So a lot of people say build a relationship with the Holy Spirit. There is no relationship with the Holy Spirit outside a relationship with the Father that is a relationship with the Son or a relationship with the... Because a lot of people don't understand that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one being. Do we get this? Do we get this? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one being. Can I explain that one more time? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one being. So, and, and we even understand this. You know, the Bible, ah, okay. Hmm, okay, okay. Still in the book of Hebrews, right? Still in the book of Hebrews. Turn your Bible to, um, or rather, let's, let's go to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3.16. 1 Timothy 3.16. 1 Timothy 3.16. This will further explain the fact that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are even one. Or the Father and the Son are one. Look at this. 1 Timothy 3.16. He says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Are you seeing this? Let me start that again. Let me read it carefully. He says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Do you see that? He says, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels. Do you see that? Manifest in the flesh. Which what part of God was manifest in the flesh? Please, can you use the chat function? Interact so I know you're following. What part of God was manifest in the flesh? It is Jesus, the Son. He was the He is the God man. He is the God man. Because the Bible still lets us understand that the man, Jesus, God is still in heaven as a man. Meaning, Jesus is still in heaven as a man. The man, Jesus. But he says, God was manifest in the flesh. That is the God man. He says, justified in the spirit. It means that his death, his death actually spoke of this justification, his death and resurrection. Look at this next verse. He says, seen of angels, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. What, what was preached unto the Gentiles? The message of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. The message of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Believed on in the world and received up into glory. Do you see that? One, only one part, in quote, of the Godhead achieved all of this. It is who? Jesus. But there's something I want you to see. That particular place where it says, seen of angels. We have understood that everything here is talking of Jesus. Jesus was God that was manifest in the flesh. God that was justified in the spirit. God that was seen of angels.
preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up unto glory. Now remember, the Bible lets us understand that God is the one who dwelleth in light unapproachable. God was the kind of person that when the cherubim came before him, with two of their wings, they covered their face. And with two of their wings, they covered their feet so that they may not behold him. Because his glory was too much. You know, glory. It was too much. But it is very safe to say here that the very first time the angels saw God was when they saw Jesus. Oof. The very first time the angels saw God was when they saw Jesus. Because what did he say here? He said, seen of angels. The very first time the angels saw God was when they saw Jesus. Because in seeing him, they knew that this was God in the flesh. This is the God in whom we could behold. They did not say, oh, this is the son. You know, there was no, they did not see God and say, mm, this is just the son. And that's where a lot of people miss it. When they now say things like, and having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You cannot have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that is outside your knowledge of the Son, of the Father, through the Son. Praise God. So, when the angels saw Jesus, was actually the first time of them seeing God. Do we understand this? Do we understand this? Do we understand this? So, we must understand that Jesus is not just a small part of the Godhead or second in command when it comes to heaven, you know, because the truth of the matter is this. Um, when we even get to heaven, we will not see, we will not see the father seated on the throne and Jesus on the right. It is a figure of speech. It is a figure of speech in heaven. Who we will see is Jesus because he is God. I mean, he ascended as a man. So in heaven, who we are going to see is God. In seeing Jesus, you have seen the perfect revelation of the Father. In seeing Jesus, you have seen everything the Father has. You have seen everything the Son has. Jesus is the complete package that the Father is. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. So a lot of people now say, oh, God was kind in the Old Testament. God was wicked in the Old Testament, but kind in the New Testament. I'm going to go to those. I'm going to explain those things in our next teaching. That's not the teaching for today. I'm going to explain that in our next teaching. That God was wicked in the Old Testament, but as he became Jesus, you know, he became god light. He became the kind one. That's not what happened, ladies and gentlemen. God's character is always and has always and will continue to be consistent. It has always been and it will continue to be consistent. Praise the name of Jesus. Alright, so um, let's go back to that Hebrews 1. So we understand this, that um, Jesus is the expression of the Father. So better still, this is what this means. It means that Jesus is the thoughts of the Father unto feet. Everything Jesus did is what the Father is willing to do. Do you see that? Everything Jesus did is what the Father was willing to do. Everything Jesus did is what the Father was willing to do. So look at this. Um, if there is one thing we must understand when it comes to Bible study, the thing we must understand is this. We go from the Bible study is not inductive. It is deductive. I say that again. 
Bible study is not inductive. It is deductive. What I mean is, when it comes to Bible study, you don't um, go from the you don't go from the unknown to the known. No. When it comes to Bible study, you go from what you know to what is unknown. You go from what is clear to what is not so clear. It is on the basis of what is clear, you interpret things that are not so clear. Let me give you an example. Um, the verses that look controversial about women not speaking up in church, one very important way to debunk them is when you see it, you ask yourself questions. You say, wait, if God is consistent, why did this happen? In the Old Testament, there were women who were prophetesses. Deborah, she was a prophetess. God used um, a lady, Jael. She used her to deliver to deliver Israel from the hand of Sisera. God used women in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Paul spoke of a woman apostle called Junia. Paul spoke of um, Aquila, the wife of Priscilla. In fact, it was even said that it was Aquila and Priscilla that trained um, Apollos to be the apostle he later became. So, Paul said, greet everybody for me, especially the church. Let me, let me even take a side note. You see, when it comes to a local assembly, when it comes to a group of people that come together to learn God's word, God, the set man is not favoritism. It's just that he always has people and them especially. Jesus had Peter, James, and John. Because the truth of the matter is, access is not just a gift of the spirit. It's something that is giving to as many people as are committed to a particular cause. That might be for somebody here who is doing leadership. But I just felt to drop that. But let me let me take a step back. Paul now said, greet the church in the house of Aquila and Priscilla. So Aquila and Priscilla, Priscilla especially, which was his wife, she pastored the church in their house. So it is now, how do you now say that a woman pastored the church? Even women were apostles like Junior. In fact, Dorcas was even kind and did ministry, you know, and all those things. As a matter of fact, women were involved in the ministry of Jesus. So why will Paul later now come and say, women should not teach? There must be a mistake somewhere. I'm just trying to explain how we arrive at deductive study. Let me give you another part. The part of the Bible that says we should not speak in tongues publicly except by two or by three. You now say when we are in church, it's only two or three people. Two or three people must just care, labor, subara, dimosh, etevia. Then another person will pick up the temple and say, madash, libaha. And you now say, yes, it has to be by two or by three. Then if another person not interpret, we have messed up. No. First of all, you need to understand the context. But before you even jump to context, ask yourself questions. The question must start from this. First of all, first of all, when they spoke in tongues in the upper room, when they spoke in tongues in the upper room, Shebi, it was everybody that spoke in tongues at the same time. Shebi, it was everybody that spoke in tongues. So why is it that they all spoke in tongues in Acts chapter 2? In Acts chapter 4, they all spoke in tongues. In Acts chapter 10, in Cornelius' house, they all spoke in tongues. But when it comes to church, we must do it in, in parts and bits. We must do it by two or by three. Something must be wrong here. I hope you understand what I'm saying. We must go from what is known to what is unknown. If you get to the things about salvation that are not so clear to you, you must go from the parts that are known. If you get to, for example, there are many things I hear that I may not be able to judge it at the spot. 
But one key thing I used to judge, any aspect of God you present to me, the first way I judge it, even though I'm not, I may not be clear on the few Bible verses and all, but one way I'm quick to judge it is by saying this. Is this consistent with the nature of God that was shown to me in salvation? In this nature, in this, in the nature of God, in this doctrine you are showing me is not consistent with the nature of God as seen in salvation, then it is questionable. Because it is in salvation we see the perfect picture of the goodness, the mercy, the love, and the justice of God. Praise the name of Jesus. It is in that we see the nature, the goodness, and the justice of God. Listen, when you're talking about the nature of God, you must understand that God is, he, for the fact that he is called God, he must have a few of these, he must have characteristics such as this. He must be all good, all loving, all powerful. He must be all just. And none of these natures must clash into one another. Are you with me? None of these natures of God must clash into one another. If he is good, he must be all good. If he is kind, he must be all kind. He cannot be half good, half evil. If not, he is not God. And the Bible lets us understand that God is good. And now, the reason I'm laying this foundation is this. There are things and stories you might read in the Old Testament and have questions. And you don't have to deny them. That, oh, God could not have done that. You don't have to do that. All you just need to know is, you know, I'm still studying about it. But this is what we see in the New Testament. This is what we see in the New Testament about God. But I'm still studying about it and I will get back to you. And if you see things about God in the New Testament, you must be able to see, say it with your chest. You know, I explained to you guys about, um, about Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 3 to verse 5. It lets us understand that the Old Testament is mystery. But the New Testament is revelation. So the Old Testament is the mystery of Christ. The New Testament is the revelation of Christ. The Old Testament is Christ concealed. Christ hidden in types and shadows. Christ spoken of in the utterances of men. The things that they spoke, that were spoken for our sake. I think it's First Peter 1.9, if I'm not mistaken. But in the New Testament, we see Christ clearly. Because we don't see him through men that just explain him. We see him coming to give expression about himself. Praise the name of Jesus. We see him coming to give expression about himself. You see, our next teaching, I'm going to touch on a few things about, you know, what, for example, Sodom and Gomorrah. The flood of it, the flood of Noah and God punishing Egypt. How, how can God do those things? And you say that he is a good God. We will touch on all those things. They are not a problem. They are not a problem. But you will understand something that in the New Testament, because Christ is revealed, the nature of God we see in the New Testament, even when we see things contrary in the Old Testament, because this is revelation, there are things that we may not be able to explain yet. And we will not deny them, but we will hold on to the truth as is seen in the New Testament. Now, when I say we may not be able to explain, I mean you may not be able to explain it yet. But of course, by the time we do the teaching by next week, you will be able to give good, sound, biblical explanation to a few of those things that are seen in the Old Testament. Praise the name of Jesus. So, Jesus, I've established that Jesus is the speaking of God. Jesus is the is God on two feet. And what exactly 
is the nature. What exactly? Let me give you an, an um, two instances. Um, um, for for instance, about who this God is. Turn your Bible with me to Mark. Let's use Mark. Let's use Mark. Or let's use Matthew instead. Matthew chapter 8. Let's use Matthew instead. Matthew chapter 8. Oh, I love this verse. This verse changed my life. This verse, this verse changed the way I approached prayer. Especially prayer for things. Let's start from verse 2. It says, and behold, when I'm done, you will get what I mean by changing my life. It says, and behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. Do you see that? He said, if thou will, thou can make me clean. Verse 3 now says, and Jesus put forth his hand and said, Jesus put forth his hand, touching him, saying, I will be thou clean. Do you see that? The man said, Lord, if you will, if it is your will. Jesus said, it is my will. Oof. Jesus said, it is my will, be clean. So God is not just able to do it, he is willing to do it. God is not just able to do me good. He is willing to do me good. God is not just able to get me healed. He is willing to get, he is willing to heal me. Do you see that? God is not just able to get me healed. He is willing to heal me. That's why the leper said, if, it, if thou will, if thou will, you know, if thou will make me clean. Jesus said, I will be thou clean. It is the will of God to always extend healing to his children. Can I say that one more time? It is the will of God to always extend healing to his children. Because good Jesus is the will of God on two feet. It is his will. It is his will. It is his will. It is his will. You know, last week I explained something to us. I explained how, you know, in the body of Christ, it had been a, pro it had been a popular teaching. That if God is calling you and you refuse, God will make everything around you fail. So you will answer the call. It's not true. What do we see about Jesus? Uh, what do we see about... Um, 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 what do we see about um, um, Jesus? When Jesus called Peter, Jesus did not make Peter's business fail. As a matter of fact, he gave Peter the biggest contract of his life to convince Peter that, hey... Guy, listen to me very carefully. This business you are doing is small. If I can give you this big break, then you will fish is too small for you. You will catch men. Oh, glory. Do we get that? And they use the story of Jonah for an example, but they don't understand that the story of Jonah has a prophetic significance. And what is that prophetic significance? Jesus said that no sign will be given to this generation except the sign of Jonah. What did he mean by except the sign of Jonah? The sign of Jonah was Jonah stayed in the belly of the fish. And the truth of the matter is, if you read it carefully with prophetic speakings, one thing you will understand is Jonah did not just stay in the belly of the fish. Jonah died. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. And then he, the fish took him to Nineveh and vomited him out. Alright? But the, for, but for the speakings of Jesus Christ, what actually happened was it was a sign to show that 
And Jesus also was going to have the same sign that Jonah did. Jesus was going to stay in the belly of the earth for three days and is going to rise up. So Jonah's own is an exception because it had prophetic significance. Jonah's own was not a pattern of how God calls people. If there's a pattern of how God calls people, even people that have business in court, it's not that God will make everything fail. It is that God gave Peter the biggest catch of his life to let him understand that, guy, this thing you are struggling after is too small. Follow me and you will catch men. You will not just catch fish. Hey, are you with me? If Peter was even worried that, Lord, how will I feed my family? How will I do this if I'm following you with this call? What did Jesus tell them? Jesus told them, he said, when you followed me and I told you to go without script or without pause, he said, lack ye anything. Ha, my God is a provider. Lack is not from God. Let me give you another instance of why, you know, a lot of people say, God is taking me through poverty, so he will teach me how to handle my finances better. It's not true. It's not true. What do we see about God? Before Adam came, everything that was necessary to sustain Adam was ready. Before Adam came, everything that was necessary to sustain Adam was available. The trees were going to produce fruit that Adam could eat. Everything that Adam could eat was ready in the garden before Adam came. So our God is a God of supply. Our God is a God that he wants us to live. I mean, you know, a theologian said something very perfect. He said, if God wants everybody to be, if, if God wants, if God is not, or better still, let me put it this way. If God is in support of everybody being poor and being modest with money and all those things, then why? Are you with me? Then why did he tell us to give to the poor? If we are all poor, who will give to who? Are you with me? If we are all poor, who will give to who? God's design is, God's this lack is not in God's plan. Lack is not God's design. Lack is not who God is. Scrounging. Lack is not who God is. I told you, I read this verse for you. And look at Matthew 8, 3. I'll read it again. He said, if, verse 2, he said, if thou will. Meaning, master, if you feel like it, oh, I'm not sure. And Jesus said, I will. Be healed, be made whole, be clean. Listen, healing is the will of the Father. Health is the will of the Father. Can I say that again? Healing is the will of the Father. Health is the will of the Father. Can I say that one more time? Healing is the will of the Father. Health is the will of the Father. If you even read in Exodus, he said, I am the, he said, I am um, Jehovah Rapha, that's healer. He said, I will not put upon you, he said, if you obey my commandment, I will not put upon you the sicknesses I put upon the Egyptians. He said, and healer, Raz Rapha, will be my name forever, for every generation. If it, if, if you, if a God is introduced that does not heal, he's not the God of the Bible. He's not the God of the Bible. If there is a God that does not care whether you are in sickness or not, he's not the God of the Bible. God will not put you in sickness to teach you a lesson. Are you guys with me? You know, as time goes on, maybe um, the teaching after the next one, I will explain a few of these things. What happens when evil occurs or why does evil occur? He's not the God of the Bible. Why? Because God will not take a tool from the from the farm of Satan to harvest his crops. 
Are you with me? God will not take a tool from the from the farm of Satan to prune his crops. God will not do that. So that is why I said, faith begins where the will of God is known. When people don't know who God is, what God wants, what God desires for them, they now begin to manage the things that are against God's plan as his plan. They begin to manage the things that are against God's will and they now say, God is, you know, a lady walked up to Papa Hagin and she said, God put sickness upon me because I know. She walked up to him in a healing line and she said, God put sickness upon me and I know that he wants to, he's using these things to train me, to train me and to teach me. And Papa Hagin laid hands on her and said, Father, give her more training. And she removed her hand and he said, uh, and he was like, yeah. But you said that he's training you. Why are you now coming for healing? Why don't you stay so the training will be complete? Praise the name of Jesus. You know, when I read this verse, Matthew 8, 3, it just dawned on me that it is always the will of the Father to do me good. Woo! Hey! It is always the will of the Father to do me good. It is always the will of the Father to do me good. If he gave me his son freely, why do I have to sow a seed to connect us to a dangerous thing, a dangerous breakthrough that he's about to give? If he gave his son freely, why do I have to, why do I have to um, 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 labor to do a few things? The Bible says he gave us his son. He gave us his son. He gave us his son freely. He said, of how much will he freely give us all things? Because the logic there is, compare, compare the weight on the worth of Jesus to other things. Compare the weight and the worth of Jesus to other things. What exactly will it now be worth? If he can give you Jesus for free, what else is there that he cannot give to you? Oh, manda cabronde zeli kefetuke brodia. If he gave you his son freely, what else is it that he cannot give you freely? Can I say that again? I feel I need to say that till he sings. If he gave you his son, what else is there that he cannot give you freely? If he gave you his son, what else is there that he cannot give you freely? Because the question will now be, what exactly is it that weighs more than Jesus in the grand scale of things? It is the will of God to always do me good. It is the will of God to always do me good. Wow. The way it's going, it seems like I will not be able to complete my notes this evening. Maybe we'll continue on this, on this as a part three next class. All right. So, um, I think one thing you need to understand is this. I think I'll just, I'll, I will stop here so that it doesn't sound, I, I won't say too much. I will stop here. But one thing you need to understand is this. God does good. God never does evil. What evidence do you have of that? James chapter 1. James chapter 1. He say, in him is light and is no variableness. There is no darkness in God at all. God is good and there is no evil. God is good and he does not have mood swings. If God, if God's mood is going to be swinging, he's swinging from good to good to good to good to good. 
Because this God is so good that he loves even the sinner. How good is this God? He is good. His will is always to do me good. Not because he is evil, but because he is good. It is who he is. Praise the name of Jesus. I can't finish my notes this evening. And I don't want to give us some information overload. We're going to continue on this. I think in the next teaching we will now look at um, we'll look at specifically on uh, the nature of God in Christ, but then we'll draw a line from that to who we are and how we relate to people and we'll look back at the nature of God. In the next class, that's the upper class, we're going to look at um, God's goodness in the Old Testament. You know, those justice and those judgments and those wicked things that it seemed like God did. How can we say that God is good if he has done those things? All right. So we're going to look at a few of those things. Then maybe in the um, last, in the next class, that's the class after the um, next two classes, that's the next three classes, we'll continue on that and look at, um, pay more attention also to the goodness of God and, you know, who God is, uh, God in Christ. And we're going to look at a few of those things. But we're also going to look at why evil happens or what, what causes evil to happen, you know, in the next three classes. All right. I trust you were blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more ministry content, visit niministries.org. God bless you.